You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This, he can shave whichever part of his body he wants. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast. Um, Difficult to know where to begin with this one, so I'm going to start just by introducing my guest. Good evening, Steph. How are you? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, all right. How are you? Yeah, um, definitely had uh, more fun days to be a, a fan of Welsh rugby. This does not feel like a, like one of the best. I wanted to start with this one, actually, because there's lots flying around on social media about just where this ranks in terms of uh, embarrassing defeats for for Welsh rugby this to me I would say is definitely the most embarrassing of the professional era arguably the most embarrassing full stop yeah um it was like a throwback to the early 1990s late 80s wasn't it you know when they lost to Romania in uh, in 88 you know um losing to Western Samoa in 91 you know losing to Carnes on their own patch you know losing to you know, I don't mean this offensively, but losing to teams that they shouldn't lose to. Mm. Um, I mean, knows, you know, teams who um, haven't got the the same sort of level of um, infrastructure, same level of funding, same quality of players. Just just losing to teams on paper, which they shouldn't logically lose to. Um, it, it was absolutely abysmal. There was there was no excuse for it. Um, to answer your question, I think it definitely is the worst of the professional era. Yeah. Um, somebody did um, te- uh, um, flag up they lost by you know, the record score. Lost by I think it was ninety six thirteen in Loftus Firstfeld yeah. in ninety ninety eight. However, that was a third string Welsh team, and they were up against a great box team. But you know, apart from one or two players, this is Wales' strongest team, and they, they, they quite frankly, they were they were awful. 
you know, you've got to give Georgia credit. They fought till the bitter end. Uh, but the worst thing about this is they they were no great shakes either. At least when they lost to Italy in the Six Nations, they lost against a team who were, were innovative behind the scrum, who had some firepower, and it was a moment of brilliance that won the game. But, you know, again, credit to Georgia. You know, the scrums at the end, you know, were, were tr- tremendous, great character. But this was all about how bad Wales were, and they, they, they you know... They, they gifted it. They gifted the result to Georgia on on a plate. Um, the skill levels weren't the skill levels of the players weren't professional standard. Uh, I don't know what the game plan is. Um, I don't know what they're trying to do on attack. Um, <clears throat> you know, Wayne Pivak was was appointed partly because not just because he's had success with the Scarlets, but because of um, the style of play, their attacking game. You know, because the one criticism of the Gatland era was that they, they weren't the most threatening in attack. They didn't win games that way. And um, Pivak and Stephen Jones come in were supposed to herald a new dawn where they they wouldn't rip up the playbook, but they just build on what Gatland brought. And the attack now is worse than it was um, in the Gatland era. Obviously, the you know the, a lot of players have moved on and you, you could argue that they had better players to work with. But I, I just don't know what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, Pivak played the... The card that the regional game is struggling, and that that's that's a valid point, and we'll get to that later. Um, but I think you know to lose to Italy at home and to Georgia at home in in the space of a year, less than a year. I know they won in South Africa, credit there, but on the whole, there's been some appalling performances, and um, I think uh, enough's enough, and I think the Welsh Rugby Union have got to act now. Well, that's right. I mean, as you can imagine, we've had quite a lot of questions and correspondence in with regards to this. Simon Wilding's asked this question. Howell has asked this question. Who else? Uh, Quite a few that simply says, uh, Andy John is another. He has to go now, right? And we were here just, what, a couple of weeks ago after the All Blacks performance, which at the time felt like a poor one. Nothing in comparison to this. But we were saying that there's there's no chance of him going for financial reasons. How do you assess it now, Steph? Two weeks later, with a you know with a a landmark defeat. I, th- I think landmark is is a you know a valid term, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it, you know they, they just there was something about yesterday's result. I mean, realistically, if we're being brutally honest, he should have gone after Italy. Hmm. Uh, I don't know how that can be deemed acceptable losing a home to Italy. Um, but to lose to Georgia, who, and I don't mean that, no disrespect, uh, you know, I, I think that there's potential in Georgian rugby, and I want to see them progress. And if they had the right back, and they would, but you know, before the game, you know, I was saying that historically, when Wales have struggled against tier two nations, when they've lost or when they've scraped through. It's been because Warren Gatland in the main has made wholesale changes and he's almost have to because he needs to see the depth of his squad. And it's, it's purely been because of that, mm-hmm. because the, the tier two nations have sort of, um, you know, they, they fed off that. But Pivak, I thought, got it right in his selection, which is worrying really, isn't it? Um, you know, he, he tinkered with the squad, not he didn't make wholesale changes. That was a strong Welsh team that should have won 40, 50 points on paper. I don't think I'm being disrespectful saying that, but they just look rudderless. Um, they started the, the first half um, reasonably well. They were comfortable at half-time. 
Uh, if Josh Adams had scored um, rightly disallowed, they probably would have won well. But they just, you know, they, they they just didn't know where to turn after that. They they couldn't take advantage of, um, you know, the, the heavy legs and the Georgian defence. They just didn't know what to do. And I I just think, yeah, there are financial considerations. He's in contract until after the Rugby World Cup. But, you know, in many ways, you're losing more money if you carry on with this. Um, I, I just think a strong chief executive, a strong WIU board would act now. And I think they need to show some leadership and I think they, they need to have some tough conversations um, with, with certain individuals. Yeah, absolutely agree. A couple of quick points on that. I think Greg Sherrington pointed out to us on Twitter there were eight lions in that in that twenty three, which I haven't checked, but sounds about right. Uh, as you said, there more than enough quality to to get past a you know a, a, a tier two nation. And then the other point, you know, I've been kind of watching this, or you know, mulling it over my head after watching the game, in part as a fan, you know, beyond disappointed as we all are. But then the other part, trying to look at it with a commercial hat on. And the thing to me, Steph, like like you've said there, is this going to cost you more commercially, not just in the long term, but in the short term? How the hell are you going to sell tickets for uh, for those World Cup warm-up games next year, for example, right? Which we know can be a tough gig at the best of times. How on, uh, who, who in their right mind is going to buy a ticket and go, oh, do you know what, I fancy this? Unless you, know, unless you were to turn around the most miraculous of performances in the Six Nations... There is, and obviously there's been nothing to indicate that that's going to be the case. How do you do it? So again, we know that those games are not just important in terms of the preparation for the World Cup and trying out some selection and getting players up to match fitness. They're important from a commercial sense because it's another opportunity to get fans through the gate. So I think you might well be on something when you say long, you know, long and medium term. There's a real opportunity. This might cost Wales more if they don't act. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so one thing I will say, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it, it's not out of the realms of possibility that Wales will beat Australia next week because mm. you'd imagine the players are going to be really pissed off. Um, there'll be a reaction on Australia. You know, they 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 played, they've deserved better results than they've got this autumn. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, they, they they're pretty burnt out by the looks of it. They got. Uh, several key players are injured, so they they could scrape a result, and you know that 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 would paper over cracks. Look, Wayne Pivak did a fantastic job at the Scarlet. Um, you know he I understand why he was appointed, but I think there there's a lot of things at play here. I mean, as I said, he was brought in, um, to build on what Gatlin did rather than rip it up, just add that attacking edge, um. He tried that. He quickly, I think, he quickly realised that that doesn't work at Test level. Um, they were almost like a Super Rugby team for international rugby, which definitely doesn't work. Then he reverted to to Warren Ball, if you want to use that term. Um, you know that that bought a few results. Obviously, great results in South Africa, historic one in the summer. Credit there, but they've just they sort of caught between that style of wanting to play. You know, expansively, I wanted to play pragmatic. That I'm not really sure what they're trying to achieve. That that's half the problem. Um, you know, Stephen Jones again did a great job with the Scarlet, but he's got to answer questions as well because that attack is just not 
not functioning whatsoever. No idea what they're trying to do. And, you know, but there's a lot of things that play here. You know, sacking Wayne Pivak doesn't solve all the issues either. It's, you know, he, he's a good bloke and he, he doesn't deserve this in many ways. You know, he, he's a capable coach as well because you just speak to players who have been coached by him and, and he has that success. But sometimes things just don't work and this isn't working. And I think they, they need to make a, a decision. But I just, my worry is as well is like, I know I keep harking on about this and it might get a bit boring, but it's really important. But sacking Wayne Piva, like I saw a really ignorant tweet earlier. It was ridiculous. Um, somebody saying, oh, you know, Wayne Pivak has destroyed Welsh rugby single-handedly. Well, look, we're a lot of fucking ballers. You know, excuse my French. It, it's, it, yes, you know, it's a big problem. He's got a lot of things wrong and he probably should be replaced. It's because it's just not working. However, getting a new coach in is not going to solve, even if it's a Scott Robertson, is it going to solve all of Welsh rugby's problems? It's going to help, certainly. But we have not got the same calibre of player coming through as we had five or six years ago. Mm. People forget Warren Gatlin had, had the best players Wales have had since the 1970s. He had more importantly, had more depth than any other Welsh coach. He did a great job. He's a world-class coach. I'm not diminishing what he achieved, but you, you've got to put that into consideration. He hasn't got the depth that Gatland had, the players that Gatland had. You know, when's the last good Wales in the 20s team? But when, 20, you know, 2016, I, I think. I think it's yeah, the most, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's, and that's, that's a long time ago. Not good enough. And it's not just that, you know, you, you look at, you, you look at, um, you know, um, the the professional game, the regional game. Loads of us have been saying this when we were winning Grand Slams. You know, Roger Lewis took a top-heavy approach. You know, the, 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 the professional game, the regional game was starved, absolutely starved. Um, because when... When the we originally went to five, then well four teams, it, it was su- successful for a while. We had success. The Ospreys had success. Cardiff had success. Mm. Scarlets had the odd season. They had some really good top end overseas players, and it, you know the academies were working well, and it really created an environment where players could go on and play Test rugby. But those players carried Wales for a very long time, and then it just, you know, there was a lack of investment. It was neglected. It got worse and worse and worse. You know, what the hell is the Welsh Premiership for? I mean, can anyone answer to me what the purpose of the Welsh Premiership is? It should be arguably the most important, you know, part of the development pathway. Is it top of the community game? Is it part of the professional pathway? You know, there's all these questions. It all feeds into it. There was a top-heavy approach. Gatlin papered over cracks, credit him, massive credit. But it was top-heavy, you know, short-termist, cutting debt faster than it needed to on the stadium. And the whole thing has crashed and fucking burned. And we're in a really bad position now. And I don't think it's overly dramatic. Even if we scrape a win next week against a depleted Wallabies outfit, that we're in a bad place and, and we're going downhill at the rate of bloody knots. And, you know, I, I don't want to swear, but it, it is, we, we are in a really bad place at the moment. And um, I, I just think that there's got to be some strong leadership. Yes, replacing Wayne Pivak and going after a Scott Robertson or a Ron Nogara, um, even a Gatland on an interim basis, you know. Yes, that, that's part of the solution. But it's not the whole solution. They need a long-term funding deal, a long-term deal for the professional game to begin with so the, the, the regional games can go strong, uh, the regional teams can get stronger and then there's a better standard of rugby for players to develop in and go on to the national side. They need to cut the amount of teams in the Welsh Premiership. I, I don't care if certain clubs are upset. You know, they, 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 they need to get in line. I think that needs to 
there needs to be strong leadership there because it's been very weak. And I think you know they, they need to look at the grassroots level where 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 you know it, it's so many people are turning towards football. You know where I come uh, from, the Amman Valley. You know you've got places uh, like the Gwendrith Valley next door. You know rugby hotbeds. Mm. You know Carwin James came from the Gwendrith Valley. Barry John came from there. You know and and you got teams who can't famous clubs can't can't field teams certain week, weekends and, and and games are called off. You know, the double the A, you've got to look at that. It all feeds up. And I, I just feel, you know, it, it does go back to that split in the professional game and the amateur game. It, 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 that's just that, that this this isn't this isn't something that's, um, you know, that that's uh, that that's sort of difficult to understand. There's nothing revolutionary. It's common bloody sense. It, it is common sense. Uh, it has to happen. And I just think. The double you need to show leadership here because um, we're at a very critical point. And you know, I, I I really hope the Welsh football team do really well in Qatar. Um, and Welsh, um, I want Wales to succeed at anything. But if you think that that's not, if you think the football, if you think that the success of Welsh football isn't a threat to Welsh rugby, that's a very naive um, point of view. Um, so I think that you know, the, it's there's got to be leadership shown, and I, I think Steve Phillips um, needs to. Um, Need to get together with the Welsh Rugby Union board, and they need to, you know, take some, make some very difficult and painful decisions because um, we're, we're in a really um, dangerous position. Yeah, and uh, the most depressing thing about that, Steph, is how many times have we mentioned that this season alone? You know, I think you, you know, you may be maybe on five or six times this season, and I think we have mentioned these things every single time you've been on, and that's you know that predates any of this. You know this. The Georgia thing is one part of it. It's another embarrassing result for the national side, but it's because, or in part because, it is built on foundations of paper. You know, there's there as you said, it's a top heavy, it's a top heavy structure, and when you're able to pull off results with the national side, that is able to divert attention. All of these things have been there throughout Warren Gatland's time, and the results of the national side will always be a distraction because it's the, the most high profile. All of these problems are there and they are now impacting very, very heavily on the national side. I think that's, that's not to say Wayne Pivak, uh, you know, yeah. shouldn't be replaced as you've said, but that is one part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, th- I think, um, you, you know, as, as you said, obviously the people, I imagine a lot of people who listen to this podcast are diehard rugby fans who, you know, don't just watch a few games a season. There's not they, a lot in it. There's not a lot in it for you, otherwise, is there? <laughs> if, if you see what I mean. But a lot of people, and I'm not knocking these people, and there's nothing wrong with it. You know, a lot of people just want to turn up and watch Wales mm. and have a good day out, and just want Wales to do well. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. So those people obviously don't don't want to listen to everything else. You know, mm. what I've just said is is it's pretty dry and pretty boring to to most people, and I understand that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when Wales are winning under Gatland, they don't want to hear anything else, do they? Um, you know, they've they probably got better things to spend their, their time and, and money on. But, you know, now we've been thinking, for, saying for years, that the only way things will get sorted out if people will take notice is when the national team mm. crashes and burns, and we're at that stage. So... The punters who only turn up to watch Wales, they're going to start asking deeper questions. I mean, obviously, the the, the worrying thing is it 
you know, obviously they, they probably lose interest in rugby altogether than watch other sports. But I think, you know, we're at a stage now that obviously it was actually a fantastic crowd yesterday against Georgia on, on Saturday. Um, I think it was a 63-odd thousand, which mm-hmm. is actually a fantastic crowd. But obviously tickets are cheaper for the, for the Georgian game. Um, but as you said rightly earlier, would you pay a lot of money to watch Wales in those World Cup warm-ups? Probably not, you know, less and less people will be interested and we're at that stage now where it's just going to hurt the bottom line, isn't it? Which is money. So I just think that, you know, they've they got to act and they got to take, it's got to be a root and branch review, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing there, Steph, is, you know, again, looking at it with like, I guess my, my work hat on with a bit of a marketing head on is you've mentioned there that a lot of people turn up to the stadium and you know have, have generally only had interest in the in the Welsh national side. Well, you know, okay, fine. We we've had that for, you know that period of success for for 10 or 12 years whatever it is. That was a golden opportunity to get people to spend more time with Welsh rugby, right? You know, that should be a gateway. If you're going to two, three, maybe even just one Wales game a season, you want them to be interested in your clubs, right? You want them to be interested in going to watch Cardiff or the Dragons or, or or whatever, right? You want them to walk away from that stadium going, that was brilliant. How do I get my next fix of, of Welsh rugby? And I know we see that debate on Twitter all the time. Ah, oh, you only go to, you know, there's there's club rugby every um every week of the every weekend of the year. Why aren't people going to that? It's like, well, do you know what? It's in part our job to give people a reason to go to that. And I'm not demeaning any of the diehards who spend their time with community clubs I, they are the absolute lifeblood of the, of the community game likewise the you know the five or six thousand who go and watch the regional sides every every weekend that's brilliant but the fact of the matter is is that in a day where you're you know in a day and age where you're surrounded by entertainment there is not enough entertainment within those uh, within that regional rugby within the competition they're in within the caliber of rugby they're playing uh to get people interested and it, and there hasn't been for a long time so it, it was a massive opportunity while Wales were good to get people in and, and interested in that part of the game and that would have built for a much more successful and uh, sustainable financial model than, than where we find ourselves now Yeah I, I think you hit the nail on the head I think there's a few things to that um, a lot of it isn't Welsh rugby's fault really you mm-hmm. know the, the lack of a global calendar Yeah, um, you know international rugby Clashes with club rugby, um, and not just you know when you're playing when you've only got four professional teams, as opposed to you know you twelve thirteen in England and then you know France where they got a twenty four you know obviously it's going to impact it a lot more. Um, of course, you know there's more depth and more more money being spent on Irish rugby, bigger population, so Welsh rugby's going to hit harder there. So that's part of it, and then obviously you've got this whole thing because of the NS that national squad thirty eight where. The union pay twenty percent. Sorry, the union pay eighty percent, and the professional clubs pay twenty percent. Albeit that's their money anyway, because it's compensation for the services of their players. But obviously, there's that whole thing where you get you get you just it gets sold to the international rugby's first. So on that basis, why should you turn up and spend money at watching regional rugby? Um, you know that that's actually not the region's fault. It's just the way Welsh rugby set up. But one thing I will say, I thought it was an absolutely fantastic. Um, Article in uh, interview in the Telegraph with um, Tom Tainton. The um, yeah, this was Charlie Morgan's article in the week, wasn't yeah, it? The, the he, Bristol Bears CEO. Yeah, so he, he was um, the the head of comms. Um, actually, you know, a I've lot, comms, lot of, yeah. uh, well, he's not anymore. He was. He's gone up now. Um, so he's 
really switched on, smart guy, thinks outside the box. I see, don't know him well, but dealt with him when I was covering Bristol in, in the Premiership. Um, and some of the stuff he was thinking, just he was saying, was just so spot on. You know, we, we just we're, we're stuck in our we're just stuck in our ways in rugby, and it, it it's so boring, isn't it? You know, like it's very difficult these days to get interviews, one to one interviews and stuff from from the Welsh regions, for example. It's just you need to be building up your product. You you want you want a bit of spice in in, in the lead up to a match. You know, coaches. You know, they. I understand why. You know, but they're interviewed and they play everything safe and stuff. You 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 want a bit of spice. You know, in France, there's a there's a backstory to every game. You know, one coach says that this coach is an idiot. That player, you know, is is dirty. He's done this. He's done that. And it's good. It keeps people interested. But everything's so dry in Welsh rugby. It's it, it's just it's just so boring, isn't it? You know, and I'm I'm well. Obviously, I work in Welsh rugby, so I got no choice. But I'm mostly attached to it because. It's part of my DNA, and I was brought up watching it when club rugby was interesting in Wales. But if I was a kid now, I wouldn't give it the time of day. No. I wouldn't, would you? No, you know? I don't. Again, yeah. Steph, you know, it's, um, it, yeah. it's it's a similar thing, right? There's there's a reason why yeah. you know I, I brought <clears throat> brought up in England, but I care about Welsh rugby was because yeah. my dad dragged me to watch to watch Newport, you know, several times a year, and 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 they were they were garbage at the time, but it meant something, right? You know, a yeah. A skanky win over Cardiff when you were, you know, when you were down the bottom end of the league felt like a felt like a cup final, you know, and and those are the those are the things that that make it important. You, there has to be a reason, and like you say, how many times I've said this on this podcast? Meaningful rugby, right? There is too much played. You strip it yeah. back and have much more much more games with much higher intensity, much bigger profile, and much more meaning to them. And, and we're never going to get that with the league that we're in, that the, that no. the world sides find themselves in now. But, but it's not just that. It's not obviously on the field is mm. more important, but it's off the field as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good stories, um, backstories with a lot of these Welsh players at regional level. What you know, and everything's so so media trained. You know, it's everything's so safe. You know, they need to be promoted in their clubs. There needs to be spice. You know, that somebody needs to come out and say he's a fucking twat in that team just to get interest going. You know, maybe not as explicitly as that, obviously, but there needs to be that. There's just no, isn't you know, there's nothing to get people entertained, to get people attached to it. Things need to change. We need to think differently. We almost need to think like the Americans think in the NFL. You know, that's the sort of thing that Tom Tainton was saying in his, his interview. We just, it's the match day experience as well. It needs to be better. Um, they just, it just doesn't inspire. It doesn't capture the imagination. You know, we, 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 we need to use players better, you know, players, marketable players like George North, like, um, Lewis you know, Summit. Yeah. Well, he obviously plays in England. Oh, right. You, you, you yeah, see the point. point. You see yeah, the yeah. point I'm trying to make. Uh, you know, your young players come through, like Sam Costello, um, Joe Hawkins. Um, you know, he's at Exeter, but Darv Jenkins. You know, stuff like that. We, we need to we need to find a way to engage with the community, and that's not purely just going out there and taking training sessions with with kid, uh, through pro players taking training sessions with kids and stuff. Things things just need to be spiced up. They need to they need to there needs to be a narrative about stuff, and you know it's just r- rugby has this tradition. You know we're we're stuck we we just we think like amateurs hmm. because rugby was an amateur sport. Rugby got professional sorry not 
not that that's not the right term, but rugby got popular and captured the imagination as an amateur sport, but it's no longer amateur professional. And the only country in the world that's got it right is France. And and look at the backstories there. Look look at the stuff like the stuff for like Stade Francais back in the day. Um, what, what Boulajal was like in the press and stuff. We need characters like that. We used to have them in Welsh rugby, but we've still got them in Welsh rugby. But they're just hidden away all the time. You know, it's just stuff like that off the field. It, it just needs to be better. And but obviously the most important thing is on the field. And um, until um, the the professional clubs and the Welsh rugby union come together and um, you know um, get get a long term plan where they can be successful with relevant funding, then just forget about it. But I just think the attitude in Welsh rugby, the culture in Welsh rugby, not just the Welsh rugby union, but the regions, everything, just it's it's not it's not right. You know, they they've assumed they've assumed for a number of years, you know, it's, I get this attitude all the time. You know, Welsh rugby is always going to be big because it's got a cultural significance because we, we did this in the 70s, we, we did this and that, and Gatlin won a few Grand Slams. It's always going to be important. But that's just, that, that, that's why that we're ship, in that this situation. Sailed, right? It's bullshit. And you look at Noel Mooney, the FAW um, chief executive, what, what a phenomenal job he's doing. You know, absolute phenomenal job. And just his attitude, always thinking outside the box. Like why why have the WIU still got the three feathers? Why aren't they on the conversation about that? Look how 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 the FAW have engaged young supporters in Wales, young people in Wales, you know. And I look I look at the the regions as well, right? A few of them have, have um, posted um, you know photos of um, you know the supporters evenings, you know, when they meet with coaches and CEOs and stuff. And this isn't a dig, great fans. But you you see these photos, and most of them are over the age of sixty. You know, you know where are the kids. Hmm. You know, supporting Swansea City, Cardiff City, Welsh national football team. You know, and the FAW have just listened to what people want in terms of branding, in terms of fan engagement, and that's just lacking everywhere in Welsh rugby. And it's it, it it's just unacceptable. It really is. Wholeheartedly agree. Right, we're going to take a very quick break, Steph, and when we come back, we're going to have a look at some of the other on-the-field issues as the fallout of the Wales defeat to Georgia continues, and we're also going to take some more listeners' questions and see what what answers we may have to some of them. So all of that is coming up after this very quick break. Welcome to the second half. Got through absolutely tons there, Steph. We're going to move our attention back to on the field matters now. Um, this is quite an interesting one um, because, again, we've we definitely touched upon this um, in other podcasts. This one uh, is from Tudor Parry. It says, as now an out seven, if Tipperick wasn't our captain, uh, would he make it into the side considering Tommy Reffel and Jack Morgan? Is it time to play an out and out six? Um, I mean, obviously there are, there are bigger things here, but we have <coughs> mentioned squad selection throughout this uh, throughout this autumn campaign. What do you make of that one? Um, I think he would get in. Um, I just think he's a tremendous rugby player. I think he knows what his weaknesses are. And, but because he's so good all round as a player, I think he hides those. Hmm. Um, you know what he brings as as a whole is just phenomenal. He has line out ability. He's got a unique skill set. 
apparently I deserve ritual slaughter for this comment, according to one Irish fan who clearly has problems. But um, uh, so I deserve to be murdered for this uh, next statement. But he has got a unique skill set that very few forwards in the UK and Ireland have got in terms of ball handling ability and I would just, just wholeheartedly his... agree. Yeah, but I deserve to be murdered for this. So mm. apparently, but, but there we are. Um, so he has got that. Um, you know, he's he's got the X factor. I think his defensive play is world class. Just his his stats after every game is always up there. I don't think he's he's world class at the break in terms of jackling or mm. turnovers. But everywhere else is good. Um, so I think he would keep his place. However, obviously he is getting on, and you know there, there does come a time where you have got to move on. But I don't think we're at that stage with Tipperick yet. Uh, to answer his second question, totally agree. Mm. I think we do need a, a proper six. Um, Unless something's gone on behind the scenes, and I'm not not suggesting it has. I really don't know why Ross Moriarty isn't in the squad. He has his limitations, but he just brings so much physicality. He carries, you know, he's got a huge carry, but he carries to an extent. Um, when he hits you, you know, you, you feel it. He goes through a lot of work, and he's the sort of guy who does a dirty work and allows players like Tipperick to do well. So I am baffled by that. Um, you know, Aaron Wainwright's gone off the boil a bit, but he still covers six and eight. And you know, we haven't got it. The, the whole thing idea that Tipperick could play number eight at international level is just ludicrous, no. isn't it? So there's, you know, there's a lot. Of, you know, Thomas Young has been outstanding. I, I think he should have been in the squad. I don't know why he's ditched James Botham either. But Moriarty's the one for me. I, I totally agree. I think, you know, you uh, playing a sort of you know, the the traditional Cooper style thing, you know, Pork or Cooper does work sometimes, but I just feel on the whole there's a there's a there's a there's a reason why he blindsided and opens like flank at different positions and mm. um you know they cross over a lot. But I just think that I like a back row with that balance. You go back to when you had um what's his name? Um uh Lydiet, uh, Warburton and uh Farletto. I could say that's Wales' greatest ever back row, just because not because of the best players, because of the balance and the, this back row is woefully balanced. I mean, Josh McLeod's not a number eight to test level, is he? I know no, he's packed down. I thought, I thought he gave an excellent shift. I times, thought he gave but, an excellent shift yesterday. Yeah, but, but but it's a baffling selection. You know, it, yeah, it, it is. really is. So yeah, I just I'd agree. With, I would agree that uh, we need a, a proper blind side, and I'd like to see Moriarty back for Six Nations if he's fit. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said to you the other week, the you know uh, obviously Lydia, Lydia's injured right now, but it just feels like right now the that whole balance in the in the back row thing, although it's a cliche, is very much a huge part of the game. You know, the breakdown is so crucial to what's going on. You need, and and that applies to all players across the pitch. You know, you need players who are able to to impact it, but especially in the back row, you need that that real mix and. Um, I think you're right to get the best out of Tipperick. You need a a six who does uh, a shed load of donkey work. And those kind of um, Pocock, Hooper, even kind of Warburton, Tipperick, um, double open side stuff. Yes, yes, they've worked. But also you, you look at a player like, like Pocock, was so good at doing the dirty work as well as getting mm. over the top that he could he could do that as well as, as well as anyone else. And I would argue Warburton likewise. You know, he, yes, he's, uh, you know... Uh, world-class open side at his best but also he he was probably a world-class blind side as well because he tackles so damn hard and does does all that grunt work that he could do it all for you as well so yeah I absolutely agree Moriarty's a, a baffler um 
and you know, even at the players in the squad, I don't know why. I, I don't know. You, maybe you're able to shed some light on this. Did, did Shunza have a knock or something? Was there a reason why he wasn't considered for this game? Uh, yeah, he's injured. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm not enough. sure the severity of his injury. So that because yeah, he did he did the captain's run. He did the captain's run on no. He did the captain's run on Friday. They didn't even pivot. Uh, yeah, he did. But he's technically down as injured. Fine. So, um, fair enough. I don't think that's a valid criticism or fair criticism of Piva. No, fair him. enough. Um, but yeah, you know, when it when it comes back to it, that's that's you know that uh, these these kind of big big selection calls, obviously injured players aside, are. Um, uh, but the props are, are as well. Also, yeah. Like, you know, the two props on a, Rodri Jones and Sam Wade, right, got annihilated in those two scrums. Absolutely annihilated. Um, that's poor selection. I mean, Rodri Jones, um, you know, I, I, I don't know why Reese Carey wasn't in the squad. He's got flaws, but he should have been there. And Sam Wade, right, it's only played, he's hardly played any rugby for Saracens. He shouldn't have been put in that position. It's, it's ludicrous. So the best Ospreys had one of the best scrums in the URC mm. uh, last couple of seasons. Uh, Nicky Smith has been the best loose head in Wales, scrummaging wise. Like although Gara Thomas was one of the fair, um, the only um, bright spots yesterday because he had the upper hand in the scrum. But Nicky Smith's been excellent in the scrum. He got dropped because he bought a dummy from um, Ardi Sevilla. Not the only one to bought a dummy mm. from him. He's there for scrummaging. Why the hell wasn't he on the bench? Thomas Francis had a poor game against New Zealand, but he's by far Wales' best tight dead. If he if he'd picked the best, if he picked those two on the bench, it would have papered over cracks. But Wales would have won that game because it wouldn't have been annihilated in those scrums. It was just poor selection for me. But, um, Nicky Smith, uh, I've always been baffled why yeah. he hasn't had more of a look in because he's he's quite frankly better than some players getting selected ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely agree and. You know, like you said before, selection is because you have so little time with the players. Selection is such a big part of what a head coach does at international level, and um, that you know they are the decisions you get judged on. Whether it's a game against Georgia or it's a semi-final of a, of a rugby World Cup, they're the ones that you um, that you get judged for. Right, let's take a look at this one as well. This one's from Carwin Jones. It says, um, if we were to move on the the current coaching staff. Um, who would you look at for, for head, attack, defence, forwards, backs, etc.? He's given us a couple of suggestions. Uh, Scott Robertson as head coach, attack, he's not sure. Uh, defence, um, Mark Jones or Kevin Sinfield, Adam Jones in the forwards. Um, anyone you'd like to see uh, in the mix, Steph? Um, you know, I, I think Robertson is probably the, the overwhelming, uh, the overwhelming uh-huh. person who'd be top of the wish list of most fans, wouldn't he? Are we are we playing fantasy rugby? Are we doing oh. the realistics? Give me, I, th- give I, think, me both. I think um, I think if I was the Welsh Rugby, I said I wrote in the Telegraph yesterday. Um, you know, if I was the Welsh Rugby Union, I, I'd be going to Scott Raw. I, w- I would be getting the the biggest pay packet I could possibly get. Going to Scott Robson and saying, "Take us to the World Cup, ten month contract or year contract, whatever it is," and then we see where we go from there. That'd be hard to turn down, wouldn't it? Taking a Tier One nation to the World Cup. With some decent players, obviously, you know, as I've said, maybe we haven't quite got the players to challenge for the World Cup, but you know, he could get taken out of them, couldn't he? Um, so I would try that. Um, you know, look, the, you look at Welsh coaches. I mean, Steve Tandy's done a phenomenal job of Scotland's defence. I mean, we're talking about forget Sean Edwards; it's not happening. That's in the no. past. What's a point going back there? You know, it's, it's done. It's dusted. Um, and he signed a long-term contract. Pointless debate in that. But Steve Tandy, I'd look at that. Um, I think, you know, Adam Jones, 
Maybe, but just because he was a great player doesn't mean he was a great coach. Not sure. Jonathan Humphrey's probably done more than him. Um, you know, obviously he'd coached Scotland. <sighs> I'm not convinced. It's it's a difficult one. Um I I think Danny Wilson, I've always liked as a forward coach, I'd look at that. Um but I'd, I I I Tandy somebody I'd like to see there somewhere. I think attack is an area we we ought to look to to overhaul. Um, you know, Ronan O'Gara is the, you know, I think mm-hmm. he's got a lot about him. Uh, what he did with um, La Rochelle, you know, the way they beat Leinster, he's always thinking outside the box tactically. He's absolutely spot on. Um, he's somebody that I think is destined to coach at a test level. And I suppose the dream scenario would be a Robertson and uh, O'Gara um, link up with Steve Tanty, defence coach. And um, I don't know, maybe we could go to the Southern Hemisphere for a forwards coach as well. But um, I, I, I really like that, that idea of Tandy, Robertson and... Um, O'Gara, but you know, they cost a lot of money as well. But um, so we'll see. But um, I certainly would be um, aiming high if I was a WIU, like, like like they did, like Roger Lewis did when he went off to Gatland in 2007. Yeah, while we're talking about Gatland, we have had this from a, a couple of people who've mentioned the, the possibility of bringing him in for a for a, a short term contract to get us through the World Cup. What would you what would you make of that um, of that as an appointment? Um, I, I, I've heard worse ideas. Mm. Um, I, I don't think Gatlin's the the long term answer. I think Wales needed to move. On. I think they were right. Well, obviously, it was his decision to leave anyway. But I think even if he had, I think they would have been right to move on and try something new. But at the moment, given where we are, back in the doldrums, um, yeah, I I, th- I think. I've heard worse ideas. I certainly, I, I wouldn't discount it. Would you want it? No idea. But um, yeah, I, 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 it would be something I'd consider if I was a Welsh rugby union on an interim basis to take yeah. them to the World Cup and then start again afterwards with somebody fresh. Yeah, and buy you time to, to find that yeah. right appointment, which just, just has to be right next time. Yeah. Um, this one is from David Corrigan. Lots of talk about coaching staff, obviously, as we've just done there. Professional structure, we've definitely done that in the first uh, in the first half, um, and rightly so. But how much responsibility and blame should be shouldered by the players? It's a really good point, actually. And you know, mm. I, I think we're all in agreement that you know that the buck has to stop with the head coach. But the players on that on that pitch aren't immune from uh, no. aren't, aren't immune from from criticism. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's a good question because. We always go after the head coach when in any sport, team sport, and the result doesn't go go the way of the team you follow. And um, you know, obviously, the coach creates the tactics. He's the one who who sets the who creates the environment, sets the tone and stuff. The man management skill. Pivot's actually been lauded for his man mm. management skills in previous jobs. It's one of the things that people have always identified with him. When you ask what his strengths are, as same as Stephen Jones. Um, so obviously the buck stops the head coach, but they, you know, at the same time they don't take the field, they they don't miss tackles, um, they they don't take wrong decisions under pressure, do they? So um, you know, I think the game plan's been lacking, obviously, and that's down to the head coach and and his assistants. Um, so that's the main thing. But so, yeah, certainly I I think 
you know, it's team effort, isn't it? Rugby's a team game on and off the field. And I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't pin pin everything on on one part. That's why well, a lot of Welsh fans mm-hmm. on social media again, lot. Oh, it's all Pivak's fault. It's all Stephen Jones's fault. You know, it's not. It's it's a collective effort. Um, and yeah, certainly the, a lot of players haven't been playing as well as they, they potentially could play. So, um, and you know, there was a lack of leadership on the field from players as well. What really wasn't there? I, I, think, I, think you, I think you have to say that actually. You know, in a side that has that level of you know that that caliber of player in it. You've just got to get someone who's got to grab that game by the scruff of the neck and and drag the side and drag the side through. And you know it's it, it just didn't see it just did not seem to be there yesterday. No, absolutely not. I totally agree. Um, they were rudderless, um, and coach got to take some responsibility. But as I've, uh, you know, the, the British Lions they've got on the field uh, the fifty plus cap internationals um, against the tier two nation. Hmm. You know who haven't got the resources they've got, know the quality of player on paper. So, yeah, certainly the, the players are probably... Yeah, I've got to take just as much responsibility as Wayne Pivak, I think. But, you know, there's a lot of things as well going on behind the scenes, which, you know, if I, if I was a player, I'd be borderline striking almost. Um, you know, this situation, the, the, the regions can't sign any players. Um, Scarlett's had dispensation for Sam Wayne, right? Um because it was cost neutral, um, but by and large, in terms of contracts for next season, they can't contract players. I mean, obviously, you know, realistically, a lot of players know they're going to be in contract and whatnot. But that's not a healthy position to be in. It's not a healthy environment, is it? That the Blayu have created. You know, they'd be within their rights to strike or to or to, to, to to you know be a bit. Um, you know, um, concerned and not giving their all to a certain extent. But obviously, a lot of, you know, they are representing their country and a lot, a lot of people spend a lot of money to watch and play and invest in the team. But, you know, the the whole environment surrounding Welsh rugby is not great at the moment. You know, as I say, you've got the situation where the, the WIU and the four professional clubs are at loggerheads. Um, players have probably been, you know, they, they, they've been promise contracts and given some sort of form of assurances but by and large I mean you know that empty promises don't put food on the table do they um, no so I think there are things that have to be considered as well because they are human beings at the end of the day um, and you know sure if you had that situation in your work or if I did we wouldn't be performing to our best either so there is that as well Um but yeah, I mean, yeah, as I said, they, they probably should take as much responsibility as the coach really for yes uh, for Saturday's uh, um, you know awful um, result. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'd, I'd agree with you there. This one, um, let's let's take a break from Wales for a minute if we if we can. Uh, this one was from Daniel Minty, and it's a subject that we've spoken about before Steph it says after the Nick Whitehead injury yesterday is there a case for independent doctors making the call at international level for the HIA protocol I think yeah I think it's a good question I think yeah yes is the answer um, I mean I think we've got to be really careful I mean obviously we, we're, not, we're not medical professionals yeah. we're not doctors and I'm sure the Australian doctors did did what they thought was best and who are we, we are, we're not medical professionals and they are so we've got to take their word for it but 
you know, I I don't know if you, there's any, ever ever much pressure coming from the coaches and stuff in such a high pressure game, but I think we gotta give them those doctors a benefit of the doubt. Um, but I do. I just, I just, all I know is, you know, I've gone on about this before. The single most important issue in rugby, um, we have got to anything that makes the game safer for players and limits the chances of um, serious head injuries or, you know, uh, conditions that could affect them in later life because of rugby, like uh, dementia, etc. You know, anything that can lower that risk, even if it's 1%, needs to be considered because, as we've said, it's not just protecting the player. We, that's, that's to be the, the number one thing, protecting health, but it's protecting the game as well because mm. um, over the next few years, more and more people, sad, but it's inevitable, will come out and players at a young age saying they've got dementia and um, other horrible um, conditions and, um, you know, it'll be really high profile and rightly so. And then, um, you know, Parents won't want their kids playing rugby, and rightly so. So, that this is the biggest threat facing rugby as a whole, and anything that can make the game safer and prevent that, even if it's just one percent, then you know has to be seriously considered. So, I I, I would be in favour of it certainly. Yeah, absolutely agree. Let's um, take a look ahead to next week then, if we uh, if we must. As we mentioned there, obviously, obviously Nick, Nick White will be missing. I think Tupo is going to be missing for for Australia as well. Um, the game is played outside the window. I think I'm right in, in saying that. So there'll be um, mm. there'll be some selection concerns for Wales within that as well. How do you see it playing out, Steph? Is this going to be a you know a, a Wales side that, that come back hurting from this week and um, and can go out and claim a victory, or is, is this a, you know a dangerous opposition that we're walking up against? It's both, really. Um, it's, it's a dangerous opposition. I, I think a straight apart from the Italy game where they. You've got to give credit to Italy. They played mm. really well, mind. And obviously, they, they made whole, rarely made wholesale changes and got bitten on the arse for doing so. Um, this Australia side hasn't got what it's deserved results-wise this season. They should have beaten New Zealand in that game. That um, I'm not blaming the ref, by the way. I actually thought he yeah. did it right. But, you know, in, in that, that infamous or famous Bledsoe Cup game, whichever way you look at it, should have won that game. Um, should have beaten France. Um, one lapse of concentration at the end cost them. Scored the best try of the season by an absolute country mile in that game. They should have won on the weekend against Ireland. And my well, they, they, you know, they could well have won. They missed an opportunity. Um, so they, they, you know, they beat South Africa as well. So they, they've, they are a team that's fairly dangerous. They're an inconsistent team, but I think when the, the parts come together, they could be a threat at the World Cup. Um, in terms of this weekend. They deserve a win from the, their autumn campaign and they'll be desperate to do so. But they are severely depleted with injuries. Um, normally, you would say that's an opportunity for Wales, but given that they've just lost to Georgia at home, you know, that that's, um, you know, debatable. Um, so um, so may, maybe it's not an opportunity. It's, it's uh, it, it, there's a lot of pressure on Pivak. I mean, the Wales should react with anger. They should be passionate. You'd expect them to come out all guns blazing because, you know, they're, they're going to be under pressure. Albeit, you know, because of the football World Cup, there isn't as much pressure because mm. not, many, not as many people care at the moment. Um, but they they will they will be hurt or they should be hurt with the criticism. Uh, and there are enough players to play a good players for them to play a lot better than they did. Um, 
and giving Australia depleted, they could scrape a win. But if they did so, it would just paper over the cracks. And that's the concern, isn't it, that they win. You want them to win. Of course, then you win against Australia is a good win. But the concern is they win and then, you know, the WAU think, oh, we're back on track. And then we're all fine again because they bounced back in South Africa, lost a series, but, you know, credible performance in South Africa, historic first test win, albeit they play better than the first test where they lost. Um, but, you know, so they have got form for bouncing back after awful defeats. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if Wales won. Um, but you'd have to say that uh, Australia, given the way they played this autumn, are rightly favourites. But I think it'll be a tight affair. But I'm going to go Australia. But I, I just feel that even if Wales win, the double A, you've still got to make these tough decisions. It can't. I, I think what happens next week is irrelevant to, hmm. to the decisions that they've got to make. Yeah, so do I. And I think it's you know, coupled with the with the Italy defeat. I don't think that it's acceptable for a for a nation. I know we've discussed the 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 kind of the shortcomings of the structure and the finances, but I don't think it's acceptable to lose to Italy and Georgia no. in the same season. It's just not. That's and, beyond, that that doesn't that, that's not because you know that that's not you know obviously the. The, the finances and stuff and the neglect of the regional game has brought us to this stage, but they still should be beating those teams even with those yeah. things. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. And then just finally to finish, uh, you know, by way of selection, what do you, obviously, as we said, there are a couple of, um, there, there will be players unavailable for Wales. What changes would you like to see made for the Australia game? Um, I think, uh, I think you got you know Thomas France. So I said a poor game against New Zealand, but I think you know you need, you need set piece. So I think he's got to come back in. Um, uh, yeah, it's difficult. Um, you're looking around. I mean, obviously, um, Roland's out. So I think Arlington Jones got to come back. Got mm-hmm. to come in for his leadership. Albeit, you know, he's not going. You know, he's not the player he was. He's not going to be around for that much longer. So that's a backward step in many ways. But if you want to win this game, I think he's got to. Got to play. Um, Farrell's got to come straight back in. I think you've got to keep Morgan at six, who did have a fine game. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. I think oh, I think Anscombe's probably going to have to start at 10, or there's not much between him and Priestland, really. Um, centres are uninspiring, aren't they? But I think you probably, there's not much choice, really. You've got to stick with Watkin and North. Louis Rissam is unavailable. Um, Half penny will have to come in a full back, yeah. And I think then you're gonna. I I would like to see. I would stick with Adams, who actually did play well yesterday, mm-hmm. and it would have been a great try, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, that would have been. But but uh, I think I would have Adams half penny, and I think I I I go former pick Rio Dia. Yeah. I mean, he's shown he can play at this level. He's been a, a bright spot, doesn't he? So uh, that would be my. Uh, yeah, those would be the changes I'd make. And then on the bench, I, th- I think Nicky Smith's got to be ahead of Rodri Jones, I think. I think Ryan Elias got to be there for his size. Um, I think uh, it's very difficult because there's so many, so many injuries as well. But um, yeah, there's not many changes you can make, really. Those are the ones I'd make. And I'd have Costello on the bench as well. I yeah, think you can I, offer something a bit different. Yeah, I know. I, I absolutely agree. I think that was a missed opportunity. Yes, I know it's a, you know, I know there are bigger fish to fry um, when it comes to selection and that result yesterday. But I think it was a big opportunity to hand Costello a start at, um, 
at test level and 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 see what he's made of. You know, um, like you said, I don't think there's a great deal this season between Priestland and Anscombe. If I'm honest, I don't think either's filled me with much um, with much excitement in a in a red shirt. Obviously, Priestland had that superb game against uh, who was that against the Stormers? Was it? Uh, yeah, for Cardiff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would I would have given Costello that chance and just go right. Well, you know, we're looking for players who've got more improvement to take them on to to another level, and that's that's where I think this was a, a an opportunity. This autumn campaign was a real opportunity to um, to blood some players who might have uh, might have a bit more in their locker, and I think Costello is is one of them. Um, so you know, for at the very least, he should be on the bench um, against Australia, but. We will see. Uh, Steph, thank you for helping us muddle through it. Um, hopefully this has cheered everyone up on a uh, on a, a wet um, a wet and windy Monday morning after after a loss to Georgia. That's something I never thought I'd say. Um, and who knows? Yeah, maybe we'll turn this into a football podcast by the end of the uh, by the end of the week. It might do. It might just uh, might just have come to that. Um, cheer us up. <laughs> cheer us up. Yeah. So yeah. fingers fingers crossed. The football um, the football goes considerably better than this does. Um, but yeah, Steph, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening. Thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get some. Uh, not only some coffee, but you can also get some Christmas gift sets in. If there is a coffee lover in your family, then uh, head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk. And finally, if you haven't heard our uh, special podcast from last week with Luke Upton about rugby's greatest mavericks, then uh, make sure you head back and have a listen to that. And there's an opportunity to win a copy of the book as well by heading over to uh, to our Twitter page, uh, if Twitter still exists by the time you read this. Right, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Podcast Network.